1970, the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission to the moon underwent internal damage that scrubbed the lunar landing and threatened the lives of the mission's three astronauts, Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert. Trapped in space a thousand miles from home, the three astronauts were forced to improvise a solution to preserve power, water, oxygen, and essential systems to somehow get back to Earth in the 1995 biopic Apollo 13. I'm Connor Zagari. Now I'm Isabel Gonzalez. And this is Fake True Stories. back baby <laughs> <laughs> that's right longtime listeners fake true stories is back with a vengeance <laughs> this is a spinoff of the filmgasm podcast developed by myself and fellow historian and good friend isabel gonzalez as a way to dig into biographical films and films based in actual history and uncover the holes the mistakes and the straight up lies that disrespect history and those who lived it before the Filmgasm reboot, we did five episodes of Fake True Stories, where we looked into the films 300, A League of Their Own, Pocahontas, Glory Road, and the Amityville Horror. Under the Filmgasm podcast, we did a Fake True Stories-style episode on the death of Stalin, and ultimately we just decided to resurrect the original show and have our own thing, because I'm in charge here, and what I say goes. So, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, feels good. Yes, <laughs> does. does. I like history. I'm happy to talk about history, regardless of what the podcast name is. But I think this podcast name is cool. Also, you have like the little music at the beginning of it. It's like do 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 or whatever, you know. Yeah, I can keep that. I, I wasn't going to keep that, but I'll keep that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I chose Apollo 13 for a reason. I am sure existed at one point in time, but I don't remember what it is. So. I'm just going to go with, it's a fascinating story. Uh, this absolutely should have been one of the biggest disasters in NASA's history. But somehow, with a broken spacecraft and very little hope, three astronauts made it back to Earth and nobody was hurt. It's a testament to the endurance of the human spirit. It is really kind of a crazy tale of American ingenuity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was familiar with the Apollo 13 story I couldn't tell you which of the Apollo missions this one was like I knew that there was one that was supposed to go on the moon never went to the moon had to go around it and come back I didn't know it was 13 so I didn't know which number it was it was just one of the Apollo ones um I didn't realize how serious this situation was um yeah I would have died of just like a heart attack because I would have made myself scared to death and just died um, cause I couldn't have done this. It really showed me how much work it really takes to be an astronaut. Um, it's not just like, yeah, just put me in the ship captain, just shoot me up there. Like, no, you gotta know math and I don't know math. So my childhood dreams of being an astronaut never would have happened because, woo, yeah, nope. That's, that's interesting. Um, cause that actually feeds right into the, uh, the opening question I had here. Uh, would you ever go to space given the opportunity? Hell no. Nope. <laughs> I would never go to space. I would also never go to the deepest part of the ocean. Um, I'm very much a humans belong on the land, and that's about it. I don't like flying. I don't like going in boats. I'm just, I like land. Uh, but especially after seeing stuff like this, like, no, no. When I was a kid, I really wanted to be an astronaut. That was 
the goal. <laughs> that was like my dream job before I wanted to be a national park ranger, which I am now. What, what? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Last time we did our, our podcast, Connor and I were still graduate students just struggling. I don't know if we had done our graduate thesis defenses yet, but. I think it was like right after we had just gotten the degree. So that was like our, our celebration almost. Yeah, something. But now we're official, like official, yeah. official, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to be an I wanted to be an astronaut before I wanted to be a national park ranger. And I told my mom that, and she was just like, "You can't even ride on roller coasters, but makes you think you're gonna go to space." And I was like, "That's a good point, mom." And she she crushed my dreams, as every good mom does. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then seeing how much math was involved in this, and having to do the calculations to be able to turn the ship so that they could actually orbit around the moon and then come back to earth and not like you and just like miss it and go to the sun or something. Um, yeah, no, no. Also considering what just happened to the Titanic submarine, I don't trust commercial stuff like that at all. Like I don't care. Um, I, I, nope, I'm good. Elon Musk is doing his thing where they're taking people to space. It wouldn't do it. Mm -mm. I'm going to be on the one that explodes. <laughs> Well, there's a big difference between, you know, a government funded organization that specializes in safe travel through space, as opposed to some jackass who built his own rocket and said, we're going to Neptune, $300,000 tickets, who's in? Yeah, big difference. <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm all right. Even though, even though with NASA, I still wouldn't. I trust NASA and I trust, you know, the the guys and women that work there, I just personally, I'd be too scared. I, I'd piss myself just getting in the thing. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm about to die. <laughs> I would just be convinced I would be the next failed mission that's going to have like on this day, these people died. And I was like the next teacher that was going to go up into space and teach class from that or something. You know, it was like, no, nah, the Challenger and Apollo 1, that's still, nope. It can happen again. I, just, I don't want to be the one that's on it. I, I I'm kind of with you. Like I don't trust. I don't I don't like how small the problem has to be to cause such a huge disaster. It's just like you know, like someone, this. Yeah, someone didn't screw in something properly, and the whole damn thing goes up in flames. No, thank you. And in space, you know, it's not like you can go, you know, pop over to Pluto at Home Depot and go get a replacement. Like you're fucked unless you can figure shit out under the most intense pressure. That's it. You're done. Yeah. And I don't yeah. like, I can't imagine like looking out the window and seeing a void. Like, I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't even like looking up at the sky. <laughs> There's no way in hell. Uh, -uh. I, 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 I believe, you know, humans, humans belong here. I agree with you on that. I think that so many people fly too close to the sun and it bites them in the ass. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy. Like, this the, the you brought up the Titanic thing recently. I didn't feel bad for any of those idiots. I felt bad for the nineteen year old kid. No, I didn't. They were all they all knew what they were in for. They all paid to be on some guy's submarine, and it was pretty quick. Yeah, that is. I do. That is. I don't know. I I think the people I feel bad for the most are the families of like you're never going to get to recover those bodies. Like you're not going to get that closure. Um, I don't know. I, I would never get on something like that. I'd be like, I'm good. No. Feel worse if they were poor, but. <laughs> nah. I just, yeah, I'm a, I'm good. It's like, 
if it, I don't know, it's one of those things, like if you live on Hawaii, for example, and the volcano erupts and people are like, oh no, my house has been destroyed. Like, yeah, you live by a volcano. Like, what were you expecting? Kind of a deal. That's kind of how I felt about that. Like, it's still sad because it's a loss of life. Like, I don't, I don't ever wish anybody to die. Um, but like, you were going super deep into the ocean on a like, sketchy summer i don't know and that's how i feel about going to space like with like commercial travel specifically not necessarily nasa and stuff a commercial stuff hell no like i'm all right even if i won a free ticket i would auction that off so i could get money for it i would like nope i'm good with the ocean i'm terrified of giant squid with space black holes both of which are like more than likely never i'm never going to encounter them ever but the possibility is still there that I could. It's not 0%. I don't like that. Like, I'm good. Or I'm going to see some, like, alien or something. It's going to, like, wink at me and then just, like, go to Earth and, like, infect someone in my cruise ship or something and just be like, like, I don't know. I just, I'm good. I don't like it. Space is spooky. I like Earth. I like the ground. With the ocean, I... Anytime I hear those like, you know, massive sound found in the ocean that we can't identify, like I just think of the abnormally like skyscraper sized creature that's making this noise. And I don't want to go in there. I don't no, want no. to open my eyes underwater and see an eyeball the size of a disco ball looking back at me. I don't want to, I don't want to see that. <laughs> my, uh, I have a friend, she works at Body Island Lighthouse at Cape Hatteras National Seashore. And one of the things that they have there is they have like a comparison for the lighthouse there to like other objects that you might be familiar with. One of which is a giant squid. And I hate that. I'm terrified of squid. Um, I have like a, like irrational fear of them. They, it petrifies me. I try immersion therapy where I want watch like david attenborough talk about like the mysteries of the deep and how crazy it is and a giant squid shows up i'm done i'm out like heart rate goes up i start freaking out um thanks first grade me for reading a book over and over again not understanding what a myth and a fantasy is but like uh -uh. i'm convinced anytime i go on a cruise or i'm on a boat anything in the ocean i am always like there's a part of me that's all like if you look over this ledge you're gonna see one swim by and it's gonna wink at you and it's just going to look like it's blinking because they only have one eye, but it's going to be winking at you. And it's going to be like, you know, I, you know, what? and then it's going to take me. It's going to like grab me with one of those like really like super, the two really long tentacles that they have. It's going to take me. And I'm going to die. Like I, <laughs> it's a super rational fear, but it's so real to me. <laughs> like I, if it's bigger than my arm, like my forearm, the squid's too big. I don't like it. If it's smaller than that, fine. Also, before you ask or people are listening, octopuses are cool and cuttlefish are cool. They do not freak me out. It's just squid. I don't I don't know why. I couldn't tell you. Octopus and cuttlefish, a-okay. Squid, nope. Don't do it. Octop octopuses freak me out way more than squids do. Uh, yeah. there, was this, there was this tape my grandpa had when I was a kid called It Came From Beneath the Sea. It was a horror movie about a giant octopus that like attacked a city. And that 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 freaks me out as a kid. Um, I also love that in both of your irrational fears involving squids and aliens, they're both winking at you. <laughs> I don't like being winked at. That's, that's part of the fear. fear. <laughs> they're just like, you know, they just wink at me. I hate it. I don't like it. Um, it's going to happen, man. And yeah, my, my basically, I brought up my roommate working there because she tells people about me working at Fort Raleigh. And she's just like, well, my roommate works at Fort Raleigh. She would have worked here, but we have this thing of the squid on display and she doesn't like them. So that's why she's at Fort Raleigh and I'm at Body Island. And I'm like, yep, that's it. 
that's not why but i'm like i, I think that's a good reason i'm okay mm, no regards to space travel um there was a stephen king story i read a while back called the jaunt which was uh first appeared in night shift in the 70s and it's a story about in a future um mankind has commercial space travel to the moon to mars to wherever they need to go the only caveat is you have to be put to sleep medically to do that to do the journey because the like light speed travel that they have nobody know like it's a very big secret what will happen if you don't go under but the people who work there know what happens and try very 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 hard to make sure it doesn't happen again and this kid decides well, I want to know what happens. So he fakes the medical inducement and basically his psyche splits and he goes insane and kills everybody. So like interstellar travel is so insane. It drives you mad and destroys who you are. So that 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 got into my skin. I didn't like that. That's also fair. <laughs> I, I hope, is there a movie? Is that, there's into, one, has that been made there's into one a movie? There's one in a, there's one in early production. They're starting to they tur- they're turning that into movie soon. That seems like an interesting. Honestly, Stephen King's kind of horror is the horror that I'm more interested in because it's more psychological. It's not like demons and stuff. It's just like, you. I don't know. Like the psychological stuff is is well, he finds more. He finds what think about it. He finds what everyone's afraid of and manipulates it into a really freaky. Like he taps into really realistic fears. You know, fear of space, fear of, you know kidnappers fear of clowns like he fear of big dogs yeah. and it turns those into crazy like insane cool scary stories yeah yeah, yeah i love his He's stuff gonna make one about giant squid and i'm gonna cry <laughs> i'm trying to, i don't think he's gone he hasn't done an ocean fear yet the ocean I mean, is terrifying to me i never realized how bad it was when i was younger all my nightmares where i die involve the ocean all of them. I've never had a nightmare where I'm like falling or if I am falling, I'm falling into the ocean. So it's not even me falling. It's the, Oh shit. I'm going in the ocean. Like when I was a kid, all of my like severe nightmares involved the woods. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, in Maryland, I lived yeah, in a, we don't, we don't like trees. It wasn't the trees. It was what was in those trees. It was, <laughs> I was I lived in the woods in Maryland in a house surrounded by miles of forest. And one time my uncle uh, faked a Bigfoot trail in the yard to convince me there was a Sasquatch living in the (laughs) woods. Oh, yeah. I I bought that immediately. And for for years was terrified that Bigfoot was going to grab me through my bedroom window, snatch me and take me away into the forest. So I had Bigfoot nightmares all the time. Speaking of cryptids, um, I just want to tell you, I have been listening to Dan Cummins' Time Suck. Now, I started doing more, especially driving here um, from Texas to North Carolina. I listened to the cryptids one. Oh, my God. (laughs) Some of the stupid things that exist in Appalachia is insane. Um, But, yeah, man, like, I don't know. I'm also convinced one of my friends was recently um, visited by a succubus. Ooh. He told me he told me some stuff that happened. And like, he like didn't do anything with it. Um, at least he didn't tell me they did anything with it. But like he was telling me about the encounter. I was like, that was definitely succubus. I am not superstitious. I'm not like at all. But I was 
just looking stuff up, like learning about the the lore of the succubus and everybody in these comments that was claiming that they they encountered one homie homie got it and i feel like that's something i don't know like that's why i don't want to go to space or the ocean because not just giant squid but there's probably some like demon or something up there that would kill me and i'm good i don't like it <laughs> i've i've lived in the, i just moved into a new place and um i've lived here for about three weeks and uh one of my first nights here i had a I had a paranormal encounter with a with a ghost. Um, I'm not entirely sure what happened, but at your current place? <laughs> yeah, here, right here. Yeah. Bro, is Seymour with you? No, he's not. I can't That's bring him why. up here. I can't bring him up here until I get him registered as an emotional support animal. That's why. Uh, it's because Seymour's not there to protect you. That's probably why. Because I first off, I went to go check my mailbox and it was loaded with other people's mail from like the last five or six people who lived here. Like, this is a newer place. So that tells me that, like, a lot of people have come and gone in this apartment for some reason. And then I woke up in the middle of the night to see a, a figure standing in my the doorway of my bedroom. It saw me, started walking away. I, I, I think I, I got up to go after it. And I have a time loss of about two hours. I don't know what happened. I woke up standing in my in my living room. I have no idea what the fuck happened in those two hours. Oh my God. I have no memory of it. I don't know when I ended up in the living room. I've never, I've never woken up standing up before. It was, it freaked mm. me the fuck out. Mm. Uh, oh. hmm. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. So anyway, space like is that. scary. Yes. Space, <laughs> the unknown. I don't care that we know so much about space in the ocean. It's terrifying. Wrapping back to your question. No, I would not go to space. <laughs> Neither would I. Neither would I. Uh, <laughs> there was a movie that came out in 2018, 2017. It was called Apollo 18. And it was a, a a movie about the last mission to the moon. Apollo 18 never happened. It got scrapped because of budget cuts. But this is like secretly it did happen. And the reason we didn't go back is because we found something on the moon that told us to get the fuck out of there. And it was like an al like aliens were up there and they attacked the the astronauts but it was like weird crab rock aliens it was a very bad movie <laughs> that's kind of but that always, i always think of that when i think of apollo i don't think of apollo 13 first i think of apollo 18 and that terrible horror movie my grandpa and cousin got mad at me for taking them to well <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool that was a fun conversation about shit that scares us yeah didn't expect to go there but i like it uh, so let's talk about Apollo 13, the movie. Where did this thing come from? Um, Apollo 13 was directed by Ron Howard, Academy Award winning director of such groundbreaking and successful movies as A Beautiful Mind, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, <laughs> Backdraft, Willow, and The Da Vinci Code. Uh, he's a Ron Howard's one of those like mainstays. He's been making shit since the 70s and has just been successfully or uh consistently good uh a lot of people consider apollo 13 to be kind of his masterpiece uh the film is heavily based on the 1994 book lost moon the perilous voyage of apollo 13 by jim lovell and jeffrey kluger i wanted to read it for this show but it's selling for 53 bucks on amazon due to its being either out of print or nearly out of print and i love doing this show but i do not get paid for it so 53 bucks ain't happening <laughs> Someone give him the money so he can buy the book. Donations. 
I will be plugging donations at the end of this show. <laughs> <laughs> but I do one day I do want to read that because I'd love to know from Jim Lovell's perspective, like how this all went down and how, you know, I mean, it's got to be just heartbreaking to be, you know, have your whole life set on I'm going to walk on the moon and to get that close and to never actually get to do it. Yeah. But it's tragic. I mean, he, he he lived, so it's not too tragic. It's just, you know, sad for him. But yeah, that's how I feel right now as a National Park Ranger. Not the same at all, but similar. Um, I've always wanted to be a National Park Ranger since I decided I want to go to space. And uh, the big reason is I really want the hat. And I still don't have my own hat because it's on back order. And it's kind of a slap in the face. <laughs> like I have everything else in the uniform, but they're like, no hat for you. Every week they're like, your hat's going to come. They're like, oh, just kidding. It'll It's postponed a week and it just keeps getting postponed a week. And I'm a little sad. Yeah. It's not that not is... touching the moon. That's that's a big, you know, that's a different. But I, I can I can sympathize, empathize a little bit. I get it. <laughs> it's not You're... exactly the same, but I get it. You ever seen Home Alone? Actually, no. Well, there's this scene on the on the plane where Kevin's mom realizes, oh, my God, I left my son at home. And she's like, what kind of mother am I? Like, she's like, you know in shock on the plane and uncle frank who's been a dick the whole movie is like i know what you mean i forgot my reading glasses <laughs> that reminded me so much of that that exchange <laughs> yeah i get okay. it not being able to walk on the moon i don't have a hat yet ah <laughs> uh, that's that's good. well you know what it's good to have a dream i i have so many dreams that i haven't really put a lot of focus into one specific dream I'm more of a put my eggs in many baskets. I might I might win one of them kind of guy. So we'll see. You know, writer, podcast. I got a lot of shit going on. <laughs> but, you know, it means I'm rarely disappointed. It's true. True death. <laughs> so Lovell's choice to play him in the movie was Kevin Costner. And the script was oh, he written. Got to pick. Well, he did. He got to suggest. Got Whenever, he got to yeah. suggest. Yeah. Yeah, he had no power in that. When you write, when somebody's making a movie out of your book, you can say what you know as many suggestions as you want. No one has to listen to them, <laughs> unless you're J.K. Rowling and you write it into your contract. In which case, smart. <laughs> so the script was written with Costner in mind, but once the script was finished and passed around Hollywood, some at some point, uh, no one had actually given this to Costner. So. Uh, they just kept telling Jim, like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll tell Kevin. Yeah. Oh, no, don't worry. He's going to see it. And he didn't. Another one of his <laughs> dreams destroyed. Yeah. Jim Lovell is the king of almost making it. <laughs> he keeps almost getting everything he wants. <laughs> I don't know what's worse, never getting your dream or almost getting your dream. Almost. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I'd be way more upset if I came that close and just never got it. Like I was so close to getting to meet Paul McCartney. I should have gotten to meet Paul McCartney, but my dad didn't believe me that the lady, the wife of the keyboardist said, stay after the concert. We'll come get you to meet Paul McCartney. My dad being like, no, we got to make sure we, we beat traffic. I didn't get to meet him. I almost got to meet him, but I didn't. If I didn't know that that was an option, it wouldn't affect me still. It affects me uh, 24, or 24, 14 years later. <laughs> I'm still pissed about it. I won't take that to the grave with me. <laughs> yeah, that blows. That 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 hurts. Ah, 
Well, eventually, Tom Hanks became the first choice at some point because Ron Howard, ultimately being the director, the guy who got to make final decision on who's in this movie. Jim Lovell could, you know, show up, but no one had to listen to him. Uh, Hanks was cast mostly for his knowledge of the Apollo mission and space history. So he was a fan. And then Gary Sinise, Bill Paxton, Ed Harris, and Kathleen Quinlan, and Kevin Bacon all joined the cast eventually as well. John Travolta was turned down for the role of Jim Lovell. So he wanted it. He's like, hey, can I be Jim? And they're like, no, John. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, I'm fine. I'll make my own Scientology space movie. And then we all know how to. <laughs> I like how you're doing his voice. Too. I'm trying. <laughs> It's hard not to. It's Travolta's a fun voice to do. It's almost like you're about to break into song in Greece, but you don't quite do it. <laughs> like almost, not quite. I got chills, but they're not multiplying. Uh, John Cusack turned down the role of Fred Hayes, uh, which is weird because he he could have used that. John Cusack turned down a lot of high profile stuff. Don't really know why. And you might know John Cusack as the guy from 1408, that scary. Hotel movie I made you watch. Oh, oh, okay. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and then Brad Pitt turned down the role of Jack Swigert in favor of doing Seven, which was a better career choice, I think. Uh, Kevin Bacon was good as, as, as Jack. I think ba- Brad the... Pitt would have been too distracting. Yeah. This is the, besides Animal House, this is the first Kevin Bacon movie I've ever seen. Hmm, I'm trying to think, like, He's popped up in so much stuff. You, you might you might have seen some of his. Work I looked already, at his films. I looked at filmography to just see what he's done. I'm like, nope. That's crazy. That's yeah. that's weird. He's like, there's yeah, a game. I know he's yeah, six degrees. I've yeah. never seen anything with him in it except for Animal House, and I didn't know he was in it until I looked it up yesterday to see what movies he was in. That's crazy. I wow. I'm I'm legitimately surprised at that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so Ron Howard was dedicated to making the film as technically accurate as possible, even going so far as to employ NASA's assistance in astronaut training for the cast and obtaining permission to film aboard a reduced gravity aircraft to simulate the weightless environment of space. The cast called it the Vomit Comet. (laughs) I was going to ask you how they did that, because I'm like, that looks real. Like, it looks like they're actually, like in zero gravity and this doesn't seem like a time that that would be easily faked and if it was faked you'd be able to probably tell so why why was it called the vomit comet what was this well turns out when you are not you know heavily trained to endure a weightless environment that shift in gravity fucks with your insides really fast so amazingly uh tom hanks bill paxton and kevin bacon were all very proud of the fact that they didn't throw up most of the crew threw up (laughs) Because they had to be there, too, with the cameras. So imagine filming a movie in a weightless environment. That can't be easy. No. <laughs> but yeah, pretty so cool, there the is dedication. Zero, there is an anti-gravity machine that exists. Yep. We're just not allowed to use it. That's bo- I want my taxes to give me access to it. I want one hour of time in the zero-gravity machine with my taxes. <laughs> I should be entitled to that. Sure. All you got to do is get like a doctorate in like advanced calculus and physics and shit. Enter enter NASA's space program and train. 
<laughs> I just want to, I want to do a somersault in the air. Just we <laughs> just want to do that once and just be like, I did it. <laughs> well, you could, you know, take, take the Titanic guys route and just start building your own rocket and just claim, you know what you're doing. <laughs> Build my own rocket with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the rocket. <laughs> that comes back in a couple weeks. I'm I'm excited. I'm not. I'm going to watch it reluctantly. But like we were talking about before we started this, when things die, I think they should be left dead. Well, here's the thing. Futurama never died. It was killed twice. So this it time... It should be left... It, it was killed, which means it's dead. It should be left dead because the last couple of seasons of Futurama was bleh. There were more duds in those episodes than there were awesome ones. And I'm like a huge, huge, I know you're a huge Futurama tan- fan too. So this is like a, a big fan. Ah, I love Futurama. I'm going to watch it. But my expectations like for the Indiana Jones movie are below the floor. Like they are very low. And I'm just hoping they don't ruin it. And they don't make all the jokes super dated where it's only talking about COVID or the president or whatever. Like go back to your roots and don't just do like dated political commentary or like current events like with the susan boyle episode shit awful episode the iphone episode shit awful episode don't do that i don't want to see a COVID episode i know we're gonna see a COVID episode but (laughs) anyway here is is my 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 thing with with reboots and revivals and all that shit if it's the right people if it's the same people and it's the same cast it's matt groaning so i'm gonna give it a chance Dumb it's, and Dumber Two was the same cast too. You shut up. You, sh- you do not. You don't. You poke holes in my logic like that. <laughs> so was coming to America. I actually liked that one. I thought that was funny. But yeah, Dumb and Dumber Two. So was, was a- Joe Dirt yeah. Two. I didn't see that. <laughs> They're all crap. <laughs> when a comedy is dead, it stays dead. It's comedies. They're, it's dead. I don't want to see them kill Futurama again, man. I've seen it happen too many times. It hurts. <laughs> well, we are going to find out on <laughs> July 24th with the impossible stream. We'll find out. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to remain optimistic. <laughs> I hope it's good. I really do. I'm not expecting it to be good. Well, I've been I've been cut too many times this year by stuff I like. <laughs> so I'm hoping that this is the one time where it works out. Connor said, "I'm taking, I'm taking all my eggs and I'm putting them into this basket this time." That's right. Yeah. When it comes to like my life, I'll go all over the place. When it's like fiction and pop culture, I bet everything on black, <laughs> and I rarely fucking win. Uh, Apollo 13 was a huge success, grossing 355 million on a budget of 52 million, and this was 1995. So that's that's really good. Uh, it was nominated for nine Oscars, won two, Best Sound and Best Film Editing. was also nominated for Best Visual Effects, Best Original Score for James Horner, Best Art Direction, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress for Kathleen Quinlan, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, and Best Picture. Apollo 13 has an IMDb score of 7.7, Rotten Tomatoes score of 96%. Critics' consensus reads... In recreating the troubled space mission, Apollo 13 pulls no punches. It's a masterfully told drama from director Ron Howard, bolstered by an ensemble of solid performances. It's currently streaming on Peacock. Uh, With that, let's take a look at what really happened on the Apollo 13 mission. I've got a thing here. 
<laughs> I didn't either. I if it's on my voodoo, I don't ever look for it anywhere else because I have it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't need to use your pe- or your voodoo. That I could just wash it on peacock. Oops. <laughs> it's fine. I don't. Everyone I know has my voodoo because I know they need it. I have nine hundred <laughs> movies in there. There's no. Yeah, go nuts. I appreciate you. Um, I have a summary of the incident that I found on space.com, which doesn't sound real. I promise it's real. And uh, I know you have some stuff too. Uh, so why don't you start us out? What do you got? What happened on on the day of the Apollo 13 mission? Man, it's bananas. So it actually started out um, like earlier than the mission began. Like the, the story started out a little bit before then. Um because ground tests were already indicating that there was like something going on. Um, trying to, I'm trying to look at my notes a little bit better, but yeah, yeah. The, uh, the number two oxygen tank was originally installed in the service module of the Apollo 10, but then it was removed for modification. And then it was damaged whenever they took it out, they realized it was damaged. They fixed it, tested it, installed it before beginning testing again. Um, whenever they were emptying the tanks to like half fullness, the tank that exploded wasn't behaving properly. And they were like, Hmm, that's interesting. So they're like, we're just going to boil out the liquid oxygen. Oxygen, no big deal. They did that. Um, they they noted it. And two weeks, they tried to do it again. Um, but they were like, well, I mean, like, we emptied the oxygen. It's cool. Like, it's, it's no big deal. We'll just put it back in. But when they were boiling out the oxygen, it kind of messed with the tank a little bit, which is what caused it to go boom on the ship. Um, so after liftoff, 5.5 minutes after liftoff, so like really soon after, um, the crew actually felt a little vibration, um, followed by the center engine shutting down. And that's, they talk about in the movie, like the center engine's not working. They're like, oh, we have the other four. It's cool. So the other engines had to burn 34 seconds longer than they were supposed to. But that was like minor hiccup, whatever. Um, and that was like the only thing that really happened. In fact, the the Capcom director, Joe Kerwin, literally was like this spacecraft quote is in really good shape as far as we're concerned we're bored to tears down here that's what he said he's like we're bored to tears down here uh then 10 hours later they were no longer bored so (laughs) you know it happened um 55 hours into the mission they had just finished doing the the filming of the television broadcast which is funny because in the movie they were talking about how like nobody was interested in space at this point that was like legit we went to space and people were like that's cool next like people got bored with it and that's still how society is today like you would think that that would be like the coolest thing in the world that oh like look at these astronauts up there doing space but like now they don't have like public tele they don't like block out all of the the channels to let you see the space mission go like you you have to figure out which channel probably PBS that they're showing it on to watch or just find it streamed on YouTube um so anyway yeah so they were done filming and 9 minutes after they were done then the oxygen tank blew up and they were like, oh shit. And because that one blew up, it caused the, se- the first tank to also fail, which caused a loss of electricity, lights, and water. And they were 200,000 miles away from Earth at this point, which to give you an idea of that, Earth's circumference is only 24,000 miles, about 25,000 miles. So they're many Earths away from Earth at this point. And this is all going down. And as we talked about, there's like not like a gas station or so, oh, like, oh, we'll just take it in for repair. Nope. Like, you're kind of boned at this point. Um, They were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, They saw a warning light with a loud bang, which led them to deliver the line, Houston, we've had a problem. So it's not we have a problem. It's we have had a problem. Um, We've had a problem. And 
all the warning lights were like going off and I can imagine it was a very stressful situation. Um, it was indicating a loss of two third of the fuel cells, which is like the, the main supply of energy. Um, and then other lights were telling them that the oxygen tanks were either completely empty or depleting fast, but they still couldn't really figure out exactly what was going on because everything was telling them different stuff. And then in the movie, this is legit level looks out the window and apparently sees uh, like some sort of gaseous residue floating in space. And they're like, Oh, Oh, it's our oxygen like oh shoot um so then they started before they realized it was an oxygen leak actually they were trying to do some other things they thought they might have like a, another leak um so they were trying to close a hatch to like keep themselves safe in the lunar or in the the command module um but the latch that they were trying to close wouldn't stay closed and then yeah they realized that it was it was the oxygen, which was even worse. Um, the pressure that was in the remaining tank that wasn't just gone in the first tank was plummeting really fast. It was passing 300 pounds per square inch and headed towards 200, which if it had reached 200 pounds per square inch, that means they'd lose all oxygen and they would die like immediately. So it was pretty intense because it had already passed 300. So you have a hundred pounds per square inch to work with. Um, they only had 15 minutes of power left and um that's whenever ground control was like hey y'all should go to the lunar module which was not designed for three dudes to be in it was designed for two dudes for about 45 hours not three dudes for i think it was 55 hours or something no 151 hours is how long they would have had to stay in there or how long they had to stay in there um so they had enough oxygen for them but it wasn't built for these these stretches um I guess they said it was 90 hours it was going to take to get home. But another thing on NASA also said that it was 151 hours away. So I don't know which one it was. Either way, it was only built for 45 hours, not <laughs> two times that or more. Um, and then it was even worse because there's three dudes to so the carbon dioxide problem that was in the movie. That legit happened. Uh, three dudes breathing out carbon dioxide. They were poisoning themselves. So then they had to actually harness um, the the filters for the command module to fit the lunar module ones because they weren't the same, which I hope that they that's like a different situation now. I hope that they've changed that. And it's like universal and it's okay. Um, power was like really uh, a concern because they didn't have enough to get back to Earth. So they had to cut down to one fifth of the power, which meant it got cold as shit in there. It was 38 degrees and they had to stay in there without water. They could only drink two thirds of a cup a day of water that's all that they had and then they had to eat wet packed food which was basically frozen because it's 38 degrees and they ate hot dogs and juice and that's what they were eating um and they ate a hot dog in the movie and it was like hard as a rock like yeah that's, that's pretty much it um what else uh yeah it's it was a very very stressful situation and when the crew got back they like did like the weigh-in they together they lost 31.5 pounds they lost a crap ton of weight. Um, it wasn't good. And actually, I didn't even go through this. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Swigert? Swigert? Mm -hmm. Swigert. Yeah, he, wa he wasn't supposed to be on the ship. Um, he wasn't supposed to be there. Was somebody else who was supposed to be on the ship. Um, it was, I have his name, but I can't find it super fast. Anyway, somebody else was supposed to be on the ship, but he got uh, German measles. He was exposed to German measles, which is rubella. Um, that's what that is. Um, Ken Mattingly. Yeah, he got he was exposed to it. Um, so he had to get off. Um, the other two guys were immune to it. They already had their their shots and stuff. So then Jack Swigert came in. So that's why Lieutenant Dan wasn't mainly in the movie. Instead, we got <laughs> Dirty Dancing Guy with Guy looking for Heart of the Ocean and Woody from Toy Story 2 <laughs> and Toy Story. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so that's pretty like stressful and let's see what else, what else goes on? Oh, it, this, this, um, was also bad cause I couldn't sleep cause you're stressed. You don't know if you're going to come home. You, you have to constantly be on your toes because this is like a life or death situation. So they didn't really get any sleep. Um, and it's pretty much freezing in there. Um, all their waste, like pee and stuff, had to just stay with them in the in the module, um, which I don't know if you can smell. In, I don't know how that works. I don't know how smells work in space. But like, even if your stuff is going into a bag and it's getting sealed, I imagine you still, if you can smell, I imagine that still is there. So that's just like not a great situation. And it's floating around with you. And like, you're just stuck and it's stressful. And then, yeah, they wanted to go on the moon weren't going to go on the moon. Like, sorry, dude, you're just going to have to yeet around the moon. They did end up losing communication with everybody when they went on the dark side of the moon. Cause it's just like, I do good luck. Like, hopefully we'll see you in a little bit. Um, and they did, you know, we, we got to see him. Um, yeah, they, whenever they were coming back down to earth, um, I think it was level saying that the droplets that had like accumulated in the spacecraft because of how cold it was, um, basically turned into rain it started raining on them in the in the module because it was just like such a rapid thing of temperature change um yeah it's a uh, it's insane i i that's like a really quick fast <laughs> fast history of what happened but yeah the movie pretty much what happened happened in the movie um at the end they all got the presidential medal of freedom from nixon because that was pretty spooky. Um, they deserve something for, for having to go through that. And NASA actually regards this as a, quote, successful failure, which I think Tom Hanks says at the end of the movie, uh, yeah. because it was a failure that they all, like, worked their ass on to correct. It could have been the biggest disaster. Like you said, it could have been the worst thing, but it wasn't because these people were, like, on their feet. They were ready. Um, they were knowledgeable. They they really were, like, probably the best people for the job. Um, things, I think I read on the NASA website, something that should have taken three months to calculate, they did within three days. <laughs> so they were, they were able to do it, um, which was pretty cool. And then two of the men are actually still alive today, level and Hayes are both alive. Um, Swigger passed away um, in the 70s or in the 80s um, after he was actually elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, that comes up in the movie. Yeah, they pretty much covered all their bases with the film. That was very, that was well done. That was a good, good bit of a hasty research in spirit of Apollo 13 because they also had to do some pretty hasty research. Well yeah. Done. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that was good. I've got um, pretty much the same stuff, just a little bit more about the uh, the main, the three guys. Uh, at age 42, Jim Lovell was the world's most traveled astronaut where he joined the Apollo 13 mission with three missions and 572 spaceflight hours under his belt. He participated in Apollo 8, the first mission to circle the moon and flew two Gemini missions. So he was, you know, these guys... Astronauts are not usually chosen on a whim. You know, they're, they, they train years for these missions. These are, these aren't taken lightly. Uh, prior to the Apollo 13 mission, 36 year old Fred Hayes 
served as the backup lunar module pilot for Apollo 8 and Apollo 11. Hayes was a fighter pilot in the U.S. Marine Corps before joining NASA as a test pilot. He was selected for the manned space program in 66. Apollo 13 was his only trip to space. Oh, talk about poisoning the well. That sucks. <laughs> I don't blame him. I probably yeah. wouldn't go back to space either if that was my first my my first experience. Be like, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, if you you know you take your only ever air airplane ride at like 30 and it's a goddamn crash and you live, <laughs> you're not you're not going to be flying anymore probably. Nope. Like I might. <laughs> uh, Apollo 13 was Swigert's first trip to space at 38 years old. He had been part of the support crew for Apollo 7 and was initially Apollo 13's backup command module pilot, and he was asked to join the crew 48 hours before launch time after the original pilot, Ken Mattingly, was exposed to German measles, which is ironic, because if the movie's to be believed, Swigert had the clap. <laughs> so, and Ken didn't even get measles. Yeah. Uh, but, would I mean, if Ken hadn't been on the ground figuring this shit out for them, would they have died? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, Forrest and Lieutenant Dan together again. <laughs> yeah, because it's the year after Hanks won the the Oscar for Best Actor in Forrest Gump. So look at that. Yeah. Said, we we can't give it to you twice, buddy. Also, I don't think he was the best actor in this movie, like at all. He was a good actor. I don't think he was the best. Forrest Gump actually was Hanks' second Oscar in a row. Really? Which one was the, the first one? He had won the prior year for Philadelphia. Huh. So this would be, we can't give it to you three times. <laughs> nope, not going to happen. Sorry, buddy. Tom, Hanks, he's such a treasure. I love that man. He's awesome. He's fantastic. I, you know, still, still delivering fantastic roles, whether it be comedy, drama. He's the man. He said, bah! <laughs> Uh, also, don't ever fucking travel with Tom Hanks because any movie where he does where he's like traveling ends in absolute disaster. Apollo 13, Castaway, Captain Phillips, Sully, Asteroid yeah. City. Don't don't travel. Toy Story. <laughs> sure. Yeah. They get lost at the gas station, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> they're going to they're going to Pizza Planet, man, and they get lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Toy Story 3. They almost didn't get incinerated like. Any place, yeah, don't travel with Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so, yeah, you pretty much went through all the technical stuff about how this went down. And I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you saw the movie, so you you get it. Like, so, this is one of the movies that you can actually say, if you've seen the movie, you know the story. Like, yep, like, that's that's pretty much what happened. It's not like, a, oh, I saw 300. I know everything about the Battle of Thermopylae. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. But this one is like, oh, I saw Apollo 13. Like, okay, yeah, so you you have a general understanding of, of what happened here. Like, you get it. Yeah, I want to I see some kid give a book report on 300 in, or in the history class and be like, and then Xerxes hired giants and minotaurs to attack the Greek troops who were all, you know, just, oh my God, that would have been great. They all had eight pack abs and fought with a hunchback. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> despite their capes being filled with arrows, they're perfectly safe. It's all and right. All the capes don't have any problems. And they all spoke either Scottish or British English. Yep. Ah, oh, that was that was that that one of the ones we've done so far. That one was particularly ridiculous. 
Yeah, that one was the worst one. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, with that, let's give this film some awards, as Yay. is filmgasm tradition. We have the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best line of the film, the Thomas Newman Award for the best music moment of the film, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance, and the John Carpenter Award for the best scene. So why don't you start us out with the Tarantino, your best line. Honestly, it was probably from Kathleen Quillen um, when she said, don't give me that NASA bullshit. Tell me what's happening to my husband. Because the way that she said it was like she like she clearly was like really upset. Like it was like, I don't know. I really liked how she delivered that. And that was like even me. I was like, dang, like that got me Um, an honorable mention for that, though, was was it the door from the little boy like that one got me pretty sad. Like whenever he said that, I like I gasped because I'm like, oh. Like, he thinks that his dad died because of the door, and he asked him earlier if the door was going to be, like, it hurt. It hurt me to hear. That kid did a good job saying that. Like, that just really made me sad. Um, That 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 hurt. But, yeah, don't give me that NASA bullshit. Tell me what's happening to my husband. Did you ever see the 2018 movie First Man? Mm-mm. It's a biopic of the actual, of Neil Armstrong's, like, moon landing. And in the movie, you get to see the Apollo 1 disaster like the the explosion the fire and it is vicious i didn't realize that's that's the first time i ever heard about that and holy shit i can't imagine uh especially you know when tom hanks is like yeah i knew them like they were all great pilots like having to basically not be able not tell his son like yeah i watched them burn alive but like yeah i knew them oh my god the 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 weight and the pain in his voice when he says that like i also find it interesting that they changed it from Houston, we've had a problem to Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, I wonder wonder what the thinking was in that. Yeah, because that's really the most like inaccurate thing is uh, actually uh, Houston, we've had a problem, not Houston, we have. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, my line, my line originally was Houston, we have a problem because it's so iconic and just represents such a significant turning point in the film. Yeah, but. Then at the end, I was just so happy when Tom Hanks gets on the horn and says, hello, Houston, this is Odyssey. It's good to see you again. And then everyone just erupts into like, applause because they did yeah, it. They saved him. Like, we did it. <laughs> and Obama then Ed Harris just. Obama a medal. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Harris just sinking in his chair and just like crying because he's finally, the pressure's finally off. He can just decompress and just be like, whew. Yeah, I bought that. Goddamn. Um, the Thomas Newman Award, the best music moment. Uh, this is a great score from James Horner. Also has some pretty good soundtrack drops. Uh, what do you got? Initially, I actually wrote down when the crew's suiting up prior to launch through the launching point. I really like that like moment. But right now, my brain is also thinking whenever it's cold. And the like the cassette tape is like really slow and and it just like shuts down because that's technically a musical moment. Um mm-hmm. uh, probably that one, the the cassette tape like turning off because that just really like helped with the mood a lot. Like, wow, like this is like it's like that symbol, like there goes hope. <laughs> yeah. Like it's leaving. 
like That's Jack Earth. London's to build a fire. The fire's gone. The music, <laughs> the cassette is gone. It's dead. <laughs> you can't charge it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I, that is a... There's so many moments of just, you know, hope getting snatched away in this movie that you start to think, like, this is not going to end well. Even the poster looks like the poster to a horror movie with Tom Hanks, like, looking in fear at, at the audience. Like, this could easily have been a horror movie. Yeah. Um, I did go with the launch sequence with them suiting up and just the music building up towards them getting on the rocket because it has this, like, this patriotic, you know, achievement music with like a little bit of somberness like this is like this is important but something's wrong and i like that also did when you're building a rocket when you're prepping a a mission like this and you've got a piece that just won't participate keeps fucking up maybe ditch the piece and just get a new get a new tank maybe do that maybe stop trying to recycle this problematic piece of equipment and just get a new one so shit doesn't blow up in space. I think they probably do that now. Because they should. I don't want to ever be in any situation where like this might explode. If that ever is a possibility, then ditch the might, throw that away, get a new one. That's how I feel about recalls. Whenever it's like, hey, your your car has a recall on it. Um, like, oh, what could happen if I leave it? Oh, like your car might explode. Like, yep, we're gonna go get this fixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go get a new one. All right, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, to me, that is not an acceptable margin of error. Like no. any, I try to get into as few situations as possible where there's a possibility I might explode. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, the Philip Seymour Hoffman award, the best performance who wins the movie. I gave it to Kathleen Quinlan. Oh, right yeah. on. I, I just, and, and the kids, her and the kids, who, the, the people that play the kids, it's just like, obviously, you know, like the astronaut, like they're, they're giving a really good performance out of the, like the three of them. Um, I can't remember his name. Heart of the ocean dude. From Joel Titanic. Paxton. Yeah. I think he was the best one out of the three of them in space. I, I would give it out of the three astronauts, him, but I think Kathleen just really sold like a, a wife's mom's like worry of what's going to happen to my husband like she didn't want to go see the launch and then she goes and just like her listening to like the radio to hear like what's happening and just sobbing and getting upset with like the people out there and the launch she's like they're not going to come here until they're back and if they have a problem with that tell it to my husband because he's coming back in a couple of days like it was like yeah yeah like i don't know i really i dug her performance that scene where she's talking to her husband when when Jim comes home and is like, I think we're going to postpone our travel plans. Like, how about say to the moon? And she's like, it just had to be 13. Why does it have to be 13? And he's like, because it comes after 12, honey. Like he's got no superstition, but she's like, it had to be this one. Why did it have to be this one? And, you know, then we know what happens. But I love their their relationship and her just dedication to just like he's coming home. Yeah. Just, she never loses faith in that ever. No, and like she doesn't let her stress on other characters in the movie. Like, and uh, like just like the actual like historic. We don't. I don't know if that's exactly how um, Marilyn Lovell like acted, but it was just like seeing her like change emotions in the thing, being able to act like worried wife to you know like not letting that worry go on her children but like it's like you can tell it is but she's like not letting it happen you know and like acting that out not actually like being in that situation i don't know it was it was good and then whenever she went to go talk to to um, the mom 
Lovell's mom and Blanche, yeah, and like not letting like her fear, and then even like Blanche being all like, if they were to put a washing machine in space, like he's gonna fly it home, kind of a thing. That was like, oh, that was cute. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, shout out to Ron Howard putting three of his family members in the movie. Yeah. He does that all the time. His his I father, know his brother is in movies like all the time. Yeah. Clint is in all of his movies, and then before he died, his father Rance was in all of his movies as well. That's funny. I, I like that a lot. Um I gave this to Ed Harris as Gene, mission control leader, because I just love his determination to not accept no win scenarios, to do whatever it takes to get them home, to motivate everybody to do their best work as fast as possible, knowing what's at stake here. And just, he's, he's such a goddamn leader. Like if Ed Harris, like told me to do a project and like motivated me like that, I would, yes, yes, sir. God, yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to follow that man into hell. <laughs> uh, and then again, when he just kind of, you know, everyone's cheering and he's just sitting there, like finally allowed to let the pressure yeah. in. Fantastic performance. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, but I mean, everyone else, like there, there's not really a, there's not a bad performance in this movie. Tom Hanks delivers, you know, the patriotic American everyman astronaut who you just want to see succeed. Yeah. And I love Kevin Bacon as like the the odd man out who wasn't supposed to be there. And there's this air of mistrust almost, especially when they're like, you know, he he emptied the tanks. So they have this that argument where it's like, it was, what did you do to the tanks? And he's like, I just did my job. Yeah. And <laughs> good stuff. Uh the John Carpenter Award, the best scene. What's the best scene of the movie for the you? The piss coming out of the ship. Just kidding. Um that one, this one was kind of easy for me. It was when Lovell tells Houston that they're venting oxygen and it's dead silent. <laughs> and nobody says anything. It's just dead like from the people in the ship. And the people on mission control, it's silent. And then it gets frantic, like immediately they're like, oh shit. And everyone's like trying to figure out what's happening. But like, that was just so, I don't know. It was very impactful to me because that just showed like the severity of how everyone realized like, oh, like that's not good kind of a thing. Because it wasn't good regardless of what was happening, but that just showed how serious the oxygen was. Everybody just contemplating it. I don't know. I, I really, that scene was like, Dang. <laughs> That's crazy. Even I got quiet, even though I knew that they were venting oxygen, but I was just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was very, very good tension. Very, very well done scene. Uh, is everything, you know, everything they have to do is, you know, not by the book. It's against the book. Like they're, mm -hmm. they have to sacrifice their life support systems basically a bit at a time so they can get home. And nobody's sure if this is even going to work. They don't know how to do this. They're all like looking at manuals and shit, like trying to figure, like you know, figure out their own structure to this. And there's no guarantees at all, and they all know that it's mind-blowingly tense. Uh, I picked the scene where they make it to the moon and they fly past their landing site, and they're all looking at it like that's where we were supposed to land, and it's right there. Their life's mission. The one thing they wanted more than anything in the world. It's right there. So close, but so far away. And they have to just wave at it as it passes them by. So, so sad. Just the look on Jim's face, like, ah, oh, Neil Armstrong, you son of a bitch. Yeah. 
But also, whenever they're like, J or yeah, they're like, Jim, come look at this. And he's like, I've seen it. Like, yeah. like dang. <laughs> I love, I do love also when um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin go to visit his mom and he's like, are you boys in the space program too? <laughs> that was pretty funny. They're just like, huh? like they look at each other like. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of great scenes in this movie. I love the, uh, you know, when when they return to Earth and the uncertainty of those four minutes where they're in like communication blackout. And no one knows if the heat shield held and they're all just like waiting, <laughs> including like everyone on Earth who's been yeah. watching this on the news. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great movie. It's a definitely one of the best. Like a lot of people have this labeled as like science fiction because it's in space. And I'm like, this shit happened. We're talking about science fiction. This is science fact. Yeah, it is science fact. Yeah. Just because it's in space doesn't necessarily make it sci-fi, especially if it's recorded history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, with that, let's take a look at what Letterboxd has to say. On What's our... in the box? What's, What's in, in the, box? the box? What's in the fucking box? You need to put like a little like sound effect in there where we say what's in the box like or something. I don't know. I Well, see, that tells me you, you never actually listen to this show because I do have. A, no, you need I a better Brad sound Pitt. effect. I have Brad Pitt screaming what's in the box from you seven. You need a better sound effect. Like, that I don't is mean, the perfect sound like, effect. No, you need like someone like punching a box. That's what I meant. Like, like the noise of just like, like you can hear it in your head right now of what it sounds like punching a box open. That's the sound effect you need. <laughs> I disagree. I like my like, you know, bum, 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 like dramatic sting. And then Brad Pitt, what's in the fucking box? Uh, whatever. <laughs> Screw Brad Pitt. Have a have a weird audio of someone punching a box. Oh, I have so many boxes here. I could record that today. See? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just... I just uh, like to throw wrenches into things. It's fun. I know. <laughs> Apollo 13 has a 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I rated it a 3.5 out of 5 stars. Um, I have four reviews here. Uh, three pretty positive ones and one that's just like hilariously negative. This first one's from Adam Bolt. My brother thought Houston was a person, and now I just love the idea that there's one guy named Houston who lives at NASA. Three stars. <laughs> like Tom Hanks like, hey, I need to speak to Houston. That guy right there. Houston, we got a problem. Help me. <laughs> oh, I love how stupid some people are. Yeah. Um, this next one's from Will Manneker. My favorite part of this inspiring true story of survival and the best of the human spirit is that Jack Swigert gave Fred Hayes the clap by sharing a urine catheter with him. Funny that NASA scratched Ken Mattingly for potentially being exposed to measles, but let Swigert onto a spaceship fully burning. Three and a half yeah. stars. They said gonorrhea, that's right. It's not a, yeah, I guess it's not a, you know, space problem, I guess. I don't know. It's only contagious if you get weird in space. They said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Uh, this next one's from Hal. Appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Hal. <laughs> Super glad I never wanted to be an astronaut because that shit looks terrifying. I'm more than content with pursuing a life of watching movies about astronauts and going to space. 
And Apollo 13 is a very, very good movie about going to space. Makes math look super stressful, almost as stressful as my seventh grade math homework. Three and a half stars. Yeah, I agree. This is the the wrong movie to watch if you're looking to pursue a career as an astronaut because you are going to get... Yeah. Never mind. (laughs) All right. Mm -hmm. Your dreams are going to just like completely change. And this last one, (laughs) this is from Sean. So you can order the reviews on Letterboxd to from uh, least popular to most popular and just look at all the reviews of people who hated this movie. And I love doing that now that I found out you can do that. This guy says, wait, so these dudes didn't even die? Boring. Who cares? One star. He said it would have been better if they actually died. Boo. Ouch. As two of them are still alive. Boo. (laughs) Which makes me, actually did make me wonder, like, why have they not yet made a movie about the Challenger? Maybe because it's, I don't want to say too recent because it wasn't that much longer after this, but there's like five movies about nine 11. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Do you think maybe it makes NASA look like way, way, way worse than this movie does. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I would just like to question how the hell Braveheart beat this. I like Braveheart. But Jesus, we'll, well talk about the- Braveheart at some point on the show, because that movie is unlike Apollo 13, which is accurate as well, gives it true stamp of approval. Um, not true. Braveheart is so dumb. <laughs> fake, 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 fake. Another Mel Gibson historic movie. Fake. Put it on there. So Braveheart did take Best Picture that year, beating Apollo 13, Babe, The Postman, and Sense and Sensibility. Uh, Why is Babe up there? We don't ever put children's movies up anymore. How the hell did Babe get nominated? I have no idea. I've never seen Babe because I'm not really that motivated to watch a movie about a pig who thinks he's a sheepdog. I just don't I don't care. Also, I'm really sad that Forrest Gump beat Pulp Fiction. I'm sad that Forrest Gump beat The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, but that, that's yeah, that was pretty a, good. That was a pretty good year for for films. Competitive, very competitive. Um, I'm gonna. All right, hot take. I love Braveheart. I love that movie. I do I, like Braveheart. It's uh, just uh. <laughs> well, the Oscars are not a historically accurate contest. They are a successful and vibrant movie contest most of the time. I guess. I guess. Also, I find it funny. How I'm just looking at the Oscars list right now. That's why I'm talking about this. In '98, two of the best picture ones up were two Elizabethan era ones, Shakespeare in Love and Elizabeth. And I think, did they both have who's, uh, no, yeah, it's just, it's wild to me that they, it's like two Elizabeth films, I guess, it was and like I think, really popular. And year. two World War II movies as well. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan and is it the third? Yeah, then then Red Line. Yeah, and then Life is Beautiful, right? Yeah, Jewish Italian bookshop owner shielded him from the horrors of internment. Yep. So three World War Two movies and two Elizabethan movies. Panama Austin, which is a part of the yep yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> said we're gonna either go back to the 16th or 17th century um or <laughs> or 
yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do that. Interesting. Ah, oh, Gladiator also won. Oh yeah. Chicago fun times. I'm yeah, gonna actually, I'm gonna go through these um and see which ones <laughs> have won. <laughs> I know pretty much all of them off the top of my head. I've done I've researched this so many times. Also, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, next question. This might be yeah. something for listeners to be interested in since you're a you're a movie person. Why is it way back when there was like five nominees for Best Picture and now there's like seven, eight that get nominated? Why are we nominating so more? Because this year it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten were nominated this past year. How do we jump up from five to ten? Um New Academy, new Academy president, new rules. Um, they started it um, in 2009. They jumped from five to, I think, like between eight and 10 nominees. And then at some point in like 2018 or 19, they sl- they cemented it at 10 nominees for Best Picture. I think it's a way to include more movies, make it, you know, celebrate more of the year in film. I like five. It's easier to manage, makes it less of a popularity contest and more exclusive. Yeah, yeah. So. But we're still not going to put animated films in there, even Only three though there times. are some really good animated films, like Only Kubo. Three... <laughs> Only three films, three animated movies have ever been up for Best Picture. Beauty and the Beast, Up, and Toy Story 3. Of course. Toy Story 3 should not. Whatever. Okay. It, yes, yes, it should. It, it, it should. There should have been others, like The Lion King, Coco, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, there should have been others. But no. Uh, what's it called? Kubo and the Two Strings. Kubo and the Two Strings, fantastic movie. I'm going to plug that one. Watch it. That's a fantastic movie. I've not seen that. It's a really good film. Beautiful. Um, stop motion animation. Awesome soundtrack. Not Disney. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like this past year, like Avatar The Way of Water should not have been up for Best Picture. Top Gun Maverick, I think, is a good movie. I also don't think that should have been up for Best Picture. So sometimes like you don't need 10. 10 is ridiculous. Five is five makes sense. Every other category is five. Why is best picture? It'll need to be 10. Yeah. Yeah. When Crazy. I went to when I went to Scotland, I heard I was doing a, a tour of Loch Ness and we they I was on a tour bus toward like through the Scottish Highlands. And I don't remember how Braveheart came up, but it came up and the driver just started attacking eviscerating braveheart as this historically inaccurate piece of shit that the whole country despises and it's like yeah that the scots hate braveheart so much because it paints one of their heroes robert the bruce as a cowardly piece of shit and yeah that that hurt them so not a fan of braveheart over in scotland i think it's a fun (laughs) movie we can you know it's historical accuracy is very much in question but i think it's a good movie well, that'll be one of ours at some point. Oh, yeah. But the next one is going to be fun. So, you know, whenever we finally to do it, I don't know if you, I know, I guess, like, you have a schedule. You announce things. This one is kind of weird because we don't have a set schedule. But Nacho Libre, because fun fact, it is based off of a true story. So if you're listening to this and you're just like, man, like, these are kind of boring stories. I want to watch a funny movie. Nacho Libre is based off of a true story. And we're going to talk about what story that is whenever we decide to do that podcast. You heard it here first, Nacho Libre. Um, if you want so- it to come out faster, you should donate. <laughs> I'll send you a postcard. 
I'll send you a postcard from my place of work if you donate. <laughs> that way you don't have my return address. <laughs> well, here, yeah, that's that'll be our next one. Um, Apollo 13, real or fake? I think we're both. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Real. Stamp. Real. Yeah. It's nice. to. I don't think if we had a real. I don't think we've had a real. We, we have. League of the, a league, league of their, of their own, own and I think Glory Road, we both said were. Okay, yeah. yeah I think right. we said both of those were pretty true, but this is the most true that we've had. Um, Amityville Horror, you can't really <laughs> say if it's true or not. All, because... all happened. 100% accurate, like basically a documentary. <laughs> and yeah, and then the other ones we've done are 300. Oh, Death of Stalin. Did I, we I, say? I don't think actually I think we said that one was in I don't remember did we even do like fake or true on that because it I wasn't technically a fake true stories thing that's like the stepchild of this of this podcast so no like it's it's okay. the, it's here but hmm. a lot of it was like legit information but it's a satirical film you can't really yeah anyway, and then of course everyone's favorite Pocahontas super fake that movie just every time it, that movie pisses me off so much. Every time I hear about it or think about it, I'm just like, ah. That's why? one of the movies I do like, but it's not a good history film like at all. But it's also nostalgia. I grew up watching that movie. Yeah. Anytime I'm, I'm in a kayak, I always have to sing. Just around the river bend, I always have to. I don't care if I'm in the ocean, on a lake, in a river. The song is coming out of my breath. It's gonna happen. How often are you in the ocean on a kayak? Uh, I have a kayak here, so a lot. <laughs> in the, I'd be afraid to do that in the ocean. It's in the sound. So, you know, okay. yeah, out here, the, the ocean out here, insane. It's grave out of the Atlantic. Over 3,000 documented shipwrecks are out here, including German U-boats and Soviet submarines. Because German U-boats were here on the coast during World War II. And a lot of people don't know that. And they were. People in the Outer Banks could hear them on their radios. And it was really scary. And they were like sinking ships out here. Yeah. yeah. Also, Blackbeard sunk out here. Oh yeah, very cool. Kind of wild. I almost sunk in the Atlantic. Oh, yeah. I got caught in a riptide out there and almost got drifted out to sea. I got saved by a family friend. Do you but know was... what to? Do you know what to do if you're in a riptide, Connor? I do now. At the time, I was just like, "Huh, land is getting farther and farther away. I should be worried about this." <laughs> <laughs> we have to give safety talks about riptides at all the national parks out here um, because riptides are very common out here. Um, don't panic. Float. Wear a life jacket. Swim parallel to shore. Ta-da. Wear a life jacket is not great advice when you're already in the riptide. You should have been wearing one before, Connor. <laughs> As I tell my tours, it's not dorky to wear a life jacket. <laughs> I am pool exclusive now. I swim in pools. I'm going to be fine. I'm good. I don't blame you for that, like, at all. <laughs> oh, this was fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what we do, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send us a message through the socials. Check out our letterboxed accounts for daily reviews. You can search for me at Connor95. And in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out our website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to the letterbox if you want to read reviews. And you can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, feel free to click on the link in the episode description. 
From there, click on support this podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, or $10 a month. All donations go right back into the podcast. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their contributions to the show. Thanks to Cooley Cal for our awesome theme music, which I guess doesn't apply here because I'm going to put that public domain yeah. friend fair music back in. <laughs> we don't thank you for anything. Just kidding. <laughs> and thanks to you for checking out our show. Fake True Stories, much like First Thoughts, is not a weekly show. We put one together whenever we both got the time and whenever we're ready. And as we said, next up will be Nacho Libre. Woo! <laughs> In the meantime, take it easy, keep watching movies, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.